The number one thing is I hear from entrepreneurs and business owners that salespeople suck. And I'm like, nobody wakes up every morning and wants to suck. Like nobody's like, hey, you know, I think I'm gonna be really crappy at my job today, especially a job where their compensation is tied to their performance. So I think that we need to make that shift and take responsibility for what am I doing to set this person up for success and really looking at it from that lens. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to another show here. Today, we're talking about sales, the lifeblood of every business. My guest is Ryan Dowdy, and Ryan is a sales coach, the founder of the 100K Sales Method, and a CEO of Social Sellers Academy. Ryan has been in the industry for 15 years and has mentored, trained, and managed thousands of sales reps to improve their performance. Now she is on a mission to help small businesses hire, onboard, and train high-performing social sales teams. Ryan says her superpower is human-to-human connection and social sales. In a world where everyone craves connection, it's more important than ever to nurture relationships in sales and business. In this episode, we chat about why you need standard operating procedures for sales, how to attract, hire, and keep the right salespeople, the importance of knowing your company's values before going on a pursuit of the right talent, and last but not least, why you need to pay closer attention to metrics and KPIs. I know you're going to enjoy the show. There's some real practical ideas to grow your business. Let me know your thoughts as always, and let's start the show. Hey, Ryan, thanks so much for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today? I am great, Tyler. Thanks so much. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. You are a sales expert. Is I'm labeling you that. I hope I'm saying it right. So I'm super excited to have you. This is a fun conversation to me. Can we open up with first a little bit about you and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again, Tyler, for the opportunity. So yeah, I started my sales career directly out of college, but completely inadvertently. I studied PR and marketing and I interned at a PR firm when I was in college and I really loved it. And when I moved, when I graduated, I moved from New York to Florida and there weren't a lot of PR firms in Orlando, Florida at the time. And so I struggled to find a job in PR. And so I took a job in sales and I learned that PR and sales were basically the same thing, except for when you got somebody to say yes in sales, you got paid commission. And I was like, this is amazing. This is what I shall do. And I will tell you, Tyler, I stumbled for years. I wish I could tell you, like, I was amazing right out of the gate. And I was not. I stumbled for a really long time. It took me literally almost six years to work for a company who, like, really prioritized sales training. And that's when I really fell in love. And then I kind of went through a stint where I was helping startups build sales organizations. Never intended to become an entrepreneur until one day I did. And then learned that that building sales organizations... It's really challenging for a lot of people, not so much driving revenue, right? Most business owners are pretty good at driving revenue in their own business, but it creates a bottleneck and then they have a hard time duplicating themselves and they can't figure out why they can't get the same results that they were getting in their sales process or why one salesperson is successful and another one isn't. And so my superpower is human to human connection, social sales, and uh, really helping build out those sales systems and processes. So sales becomes duplicatable and predictable. So that is what I do. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Something you just mentioned, there's a 
term I use. It's called the rainmaker's dilemma. And you typically, for a business owner, they're the rainmaker. And they have this dilemma of how do I replicate what I do? Or how do I get out of doing that and having someone else do it? So I'd just be curious, like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, so you got Joe business owner, Jane business owner doing really well, but they're stuck. Like their business doesn't happen unless they're doing it. What's that first step to get out of that in your mind? Document the process. Mm, love it. The first step is what, what happens? Because we do this. And again, I've done it in my businesses as well, right? Like we've got like back of the cocktail napkin deals. Like we know this stuff inside and out. We know we've just done it, said it, we built it. It's our baby. We know everything that it does and how it serves and the story, but all of it lives inside of our head. Right. So the first thing that we have to do is we have to get it out of our head onto a piece of paper or onto into a, a project management system. However, you manage systems in your business. That's so interesting, Tyler, and you can tell me if this is your experience. One of the things, as soon as your business starts to take make money, everybody's like, SOPs, SOPs, SOPs. <laughs> right? yes. but nobody tells you about your sales SOP. Right, right. Like, what's the standard operating procedure for sales? And everyone's like, what do you mean? I'm like, if you have a standard operating procedure for onboarding clients, why would you not have it for selling clients? So to me, that's step one is document the process and then start recording as much as you can. Meaning if you take your sales calls via Zoom, ask your clients, hey, do you mind if I record this for training purposes? Any activity that you do, if you send emails or DMs or whatever your process is, like record as much of that as possible. So you can start to build a little bit of a training library for someone when you bring them on. Yeah, that's gold. Okay, so we document our processes and now we're like, okay, let's hire the first person or maybe it's the second person. What's the criteria like? Because this is a challenge I've always had and a saying I use is, you know, if someone applies for a sales job, usually you expect them to sound great. Like they're usually pretty quick in how they sound. They're usually pretty verbally strong. So by kind of just by the fact that they're interviewing your probably going to be likable in most cases. They're probably going to sound good, but that doesn't necessarily give you a profile for a great salesperson in my experience, because sometimes talking is the easy part, actually doing the other levels is the hard part. How can you eliminate, so let's say we get past the likability factor. How do, how do we increase our chance for someone being successful, new to our organization in a sales role? So the first thing is, I always say, like, I'm a big fan for, you know, hire for attitude, train for skill. Mm. I have found that oftentimes newer salespeople are a little bit better, a little bit hungrier than their more experienced counterparts. Yeah. But for me, it's really about, do they align with the mission, vision, and values of the company, right? If all salespeople were created equal, they all had a similar skill set. I want somebody that has a heart for what we do as much as we have a heart for what we do. So to me, that's, I think, really important and something, Tyler, that often gets overlooked in small businesses because we're looking for a ringer. We're like, I just need the ringer. I just need the ringer. Like, I just need the person who can replace me as quickly as possible. And for me, I would rather, you know, I would rather take the underdog that is aligned with the mission, vision, values of the company and what we're creating and what we want to build and turn them into a ringer rather than hire a ringer. So to me, those are things that are important, like values alignment, mission alignment, but oftentimes, sometimes it's as simple as checking references. I think we've gotten really lazy on checking references. I know that I did, like in my corporate career when I was hiring, because my assumption was always like, well, why would somebody put somebody on their references that doesn't like them? But people sometimes don't realize that those people don't like them. Uh, so <laughs> uh, checking references is a great way to do it. Also have multiple people on your team interview that person if possible. What vibe do they get? Because sometimes, you know, you're, you're the business owner. And if you're the business owner, people will bring their A game. But oftentimes if they feel like they're talking to somebody else, even somebody who's like an admin or something along those lines that they don't deem as 
important, and obviously I'm using air quotes, as the business owner, a different persona will show up. So I look for things like that, right? I'm looking for the attitude. I'm looking for the values alignment. I'm looking for great references. I'm looking for multiple conversations in the organization. And then I look for follow-up, right? I always say that the sales process is the honeymoon phase. The interview process is the honeymoon phase. How they treat you in the interview process is how they're going to treat your prospects. So if they don't, and your clients, so if they don't follow up, if their communication is unprofessional, if they're late, all of those things. And this is so hard. Do you know how many times I've had to like close the door on salespeople that I wanted to love so bad because their follow-up was terrible. And I was like, if you can't follow up with me and I'm the one paying you, are you really going to follow up with somebody with a prospect who said no, or call me later or blew you off? Probably not. Right. Uh, That's great stuff. Man, there's so much stuff to unpack there. So the first one, I so agree with you on references. Like, even if someone's not ready to necessarily say something as a as a person giving the reference, let's say bad, you can get into that discussion. And I find that if you ask creative questions, sometimes people will say things that maybe they didn't intend to say that are a little bit more transparent and gives you a little bit of a better look into maybe how that person is on the front lines. And that's a great one. And then the other question I have around this vision, do you find sometimes your clients or are they already established where they have this, where they don't have clarity of vision, culture, and they're not in a position to convey that to who they're bringing into the organization. Do you run into that often? Yes. Yeah. How do you deal with it? I tell them that they can't hire until they know those things. (laughs) That's point blank. (laughs) You're just not ready. It's just going to be an exercise in futility, right? Right, Like if you don't know who you are, how can you possibly find somebody to represent who you are in the world? Yeah, that's a great point. It's true. I would argue, and you might have a different opinion, like you're not right. Admin stuff, maybe, but like when you comes to really, truly going from, you know, solopreneur with a VA and a, you know, a contractor to like really, truly building a company enterprise, building a true business at that point in time, it's going to be a challenge to hire across the board. If those things are not, are not hashed out. Because like I said, if anybody else is interacting with the world on your behalf and you don't know who you are and you don't know your those things, it's going to be really hard for somebody else to A, fit in with that and then B, communicate it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Also on that whole topic of culture, do you find sometimes entrepreneurs like view culture as, you know, Friday beer day or Friday pizza day or going to parties, not necessarily really the fabric of the company itself? Do you find there's a disconnect there occasionally? There is across the world. I mean, like across the board, I don't think it's specific to entrepreneurs. I think that that companies as a whole, because I've worked for bigger, more established companies that have, that don't really understand culture. And then, you know, but I've worked with entrepreneurs have nailed it and then vice versa. Right. I think it's really understanding what is culture? What does that mean? And it means something different to everyone and that's okay. But it's like, what do you want to create? And what does that look like? and really being intentional in all of your hiring to line that up. So I think that we misunderstand culture and we think that's what culture is, right? We think culture is time off and yeah, like beer Friday and different things like that. When really culture is, how do you want people to feel about working for your organization? Yeah, I love that. That's great. You said something a little bit earlier too. So we're going down this path, okay? So we get our vision down, we, we lay out some processes. 
How do we ensure that that salesperson is successful? Because the other area that I see sometimes, and, and you said it so well in another podcast I listened to you, you talked about training. Like we we just expect like we're going to put people in the seat, make your fifty calls a day, and here's a brochure on our product, and get your five sales a month, and, and leave me alone type thing. How do we avoid that? Can you can you fill in some of those blanks? <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody else feel like how absurd that sounds? Like yeah. why why can't why is this person not successful when we treat them this way? But it's kind of true, right? I mean, it's it's to totally some degree, true. right? I mean, yeah, it's crazy, right? Totally true. Yeah. So you know, how do we ensure people are going to be successful? So I think the first thing is, Tyler, is let's just like rip the bandaid off that you're going to get it wrong sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. Like not every hire anywhere, again, anywhere in your company is you're going to nail the first time. Typically, I think the the, the data says it's like up to five hires to find like your long-term like ride or die people in almost every role in your company, role in your company. So that's the first thing is we need to stop feeling like, oh, because I can't hire a good salesperson or the people that I've hired aren't a good fit or didn't work out that there are no good salespeople that you're bad for some reason. Like I, I hear a lot of drama, like, and typically it is vilifying the salespeople right? The number one thing is I hear from entrepreneurs and business owners that salespeople suck. And I'm like, nobody wakes up every morning and wants to suck. Like nobody's like, Hey, you know, I think I'm gonna be really crappy at my job today, especially a job where their compensation is tied to their performance. So I think that we need to make that shift and take responsibility for what am I doing to set this person up for success and really looking at it from that lens. So having a a metrics and KPIs based way to measure success is really important because the data does tell us Tyler that It can take nine to 12 months for somebody to be at 100% capacity, meaning if your goal is that this person closes 10 deals every single day or every single month, that they're not going to do that until they've been there for nine to 12 months. And I'm not saying that they're not going to close any business in their first nine months on the job, but they're not going to be at 100% capacity. So we need to decide what are the benchmarks? What are the goalposts? What does success look like other than revenue? Because if all we do is measure revenue or sales, We have no way to train, to coach, to manage, to help increase performance in any way. And I made this mistake early on as a manager in my corporate career and try really hard not to make it as an entrepreneur, but I do sometimes where we just manage outcomes and we don't manage activity. And so I think the number one way that we can determine, is this person getting it, is to have really specific metrics and KPIs in place so we can see, are they improving? Are they getting it? Are they moving faster? Or are they making, like you said, 50 calls and they're getting nowhere, right? Like we need to know that because obviously something is wrong if somebody else can make 50 calls and schedule three appointments, right? So what's the disconnect? What went on in those 50 calls? Are they calling the right people? Are they saying the right thing? But we don't know any of those things unless we manage it. And this is, I think, entrepreneurs' biggest challenge, Tyler, and I've not yet figured out how to overcome it, is once you start hiring a salesperson, you then become sales manager and you don't want to let go of that role too quickly. Yeah. Man, you say so many cool things. So the whole you're opening about, you're not going to hit a home right every time, like setting that expectation. Cause I think, I think people expect, and this is hiring in general, like you can do, you know, all your due diligence, you can really think you got just the right person. And sometimes just, it's not, it's not the right fit and it doesn't make the person bad. It doesn't make the organization bad. What does make it bad is if you don't, you don't deal with it or you don't deal with it effectively in terms of setting expectations and clarity of communication. But so that, that really resonates with me. You mentioned metrics. So you've got this business owner that wants to get out of the weeds of being the only 
sales producer. And now that we brought on a salesperson, we've gone through the vetting process. We got clear vision, culture, got that dialed in. We've got some basic of a training plan in place. How do you, if you don't really, because you said something really smart. You said, well, if you 50 calls is the benchmark and someone else is doing that, you do have some data that you can kind of you know, scrub it against. What do you do when you don't have that data though, or you don't really have established metrics? Any philosophies on that or how do you approach that? Yeah. You make them up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. It's trial and error. You know, like all of a sudden we think because we're hiring a person that we should know all the answers. But like when you started, you didn't know the answers, Mm-mm. right? You didn't know. You were like, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to go get dirty and screw things up and try. And, and then it happens or it doesn't happen. Right. So for me, it's start with a baseline, but try to back into it using averages, right? So again, if the goal is a sale a week and we know that an inexperienced sales rep is probably going to close at 25%, you know, so they need at least four sales calls to get their one sale call sale a week, right? So then how many people do they need to talk to to book four sales calls, right? And then we have to just adjust, we might decide, oh, it's, it's 50. And then we're like, 50 is not enough. We actually need to talk to a hundred because we get, you know, we get 80 voicemails, you know, we get 10 people to go fly a kite. We talk to 10 and then four of them will actually take the meeting. But in the beginning, it's literally trial and error. And there is no secret sauce that I know of other than to use averages, right? Things like we learned that the, you know, 3% of our audience is ready to buy at any given time. So again, if I need three sales, I need an audience of a hundred, you know, all of those different things. But oftentimes we're just working with averages and then we're taking the data and fine tuning the data. If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high performing team members and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. We learned that you know 3% of our audience is ready to buy at any given time. So again, if I need three sales, I need an audience of a hundred, you know, all of those different things. But oftentimes we're just working with averages and then we're taking the data and fine tuning the data. Got it. Do you feel the salesperson should have some input into those metrics or especially when they're not fully established? Like, do you get them involved in that conversation when you're coming up with your first line of metrics? No, no, because it's human nature. If you put them in control, they're going to use that control to tell you why it's not working. Yep. So if I'm in control of the numbers, you can't tell me, I think this, or I think that it's, here's the numbers. And then I say, okay, well, let's do this. or let's do that. How is that going? And then adjust from there. So I ask them questions around how they feel they're doing. Like, okay, if you're, again, if it's 50 dials, if that's the metric, Tyler, then how do we feel about 50 dials? How long does it take us to get through 50 dials? What's the longest part of the process? Because what I learned in building new sales organizations, Tyler, that oftentimes the biggest time suck, if they're doing lead gen, is actually identifying the leads. It's not actually the phone calls, the emails, the, the outbound messages, the whatever. It's actually identifying the people. So for me, I'm like, all right, we didn't get to our number this week. My goal was 50 a day. That's 250. You only got to 180. Tell me more about that. And I want to know why they didn't get all 250 out. Was it a time issue? Was it an identification issue? Was it 
you know, they wound up booking three impromptu sales calls. And so that day I didn't hit my numbers, whatever it is. So then I'm just having conversations with why they think they did or didn't hit those numbers. And then I'm looking for patterns. So what do you, you know, business owner, hire a salesperson, they now have these metrics. What should those conversations look like? Are they weekly conversations? Are they turning in their metrics every week? How does that flow work? And is it constant communication of whether you're hitting them or not? What, what should that look like? Sure. Weekly is probably about all you can handle. Okay. And, and like, so run the business at the same time. So for us, we do weekly one-on-ones with our people and then they fill out their metrics daily, but I look at, I look at them weekly. So what I mean by that is they use, we just use a Google document every single week. They pop it open. They know what metrics they should be tracking and they go in and they update them every day. But I don't really start to look for trends until I have a whole week's worth of data, right? So if Tuesday was a light day, I'm not stressed out about that until the end of the week when I realize we're off because people, I give my people a lot of flexibility to work in a flow that works best for them. And so, you know, I have some people that will spend like Monday is their day where they do a lot of new lead research. They do a lot of hot lead follow-up from last week. Like that's their day, but then Tuesday they get into new. And so it just, I let them pick their flow. And so then they can work in averages and it gives them flexibility to do that. So we talk about it every single week in a one-on-one. And we look at those numbers and we look at the, those metrics in general. Uh, we also do AM and PM check-ins with our people, meaning like, okay, what's the objective for today? And then at the end of the day, what, why, tell me what happened, what did or didn't happen, et cetera. I've done that both in person, like in a Zoom environment, I've done it both just like we've used a Slack channel to do that. It really, a lot of the times has to do with your bandwidth and your ability to fit those calls in. But I find that the more frequently people feel like they're being touched base with, the more likely they are to stay on track. Right. Yeah, that communication, I'm sure, helps a lot. So let's say business owner environment, CEO, they're not going to be able to do the morning and the afternoon. How do you deal with things like caller's reluctance or seller's reluctance, whatever you want to call it, where people will, you know, often say, Hey, I can't get a hold of anyone. Or I, you know, if I call them in the morning, they're in meetings. If I call them in the evening, they're in meetings. If I call them during the middle of the day, they're in lunch. How do you like, is it just all about the metrics is like, dude, at the end of the day, got to deliver on these metrics, uh, end of the week. Or how do you deal with that? Is it, do you kind of say, Hey, this is just reluctance. I'm curious. Cause these, these are things that I've seen come up and I, how do you handle them? Yeah. So for us, I mean, we play a lot on social media. You know, our, the name of our company is Social Sellers Academy. So <laughs> social is what we do. But for us, we we bounce from platform to platform, right? Like, okay, if you can't get a hold of them on LinkedIn, like, are they on Instagram? If you can't get a hold of them on there, like, are they on Facebook? Have you sent an email? Like, what are, you know, yeah, I don't propose that we just bang our head against the wall over and over and over again and hope that something changes, you know? So for us, it's varying those touch points. And then it's also figuring out what's going into those touch points, right? Because a lot of times people tell me, no, I'm not getting any response. And they'll tell me their message that they're sending. Cause again, we, we do a lot of outreach on like LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and they'll tell me that they're not getting any outreach or they're not getting any response. And I look at their message and I'm like, dude, would you respond to that? Like it's terrible. Right. So sometimes it's figuring out what is the problem? What is the lack of response? And I'll help them craft a response. We also look for an average, like 20% response rate. So I'm always looking at that as well. As long as the average is there, I'm not too distraught. But again, if we're way below average, then we're having a different conversation. Then we're looking at what is the messaging? What is the engagement cadence? You know, how many touch points are you getting through with each lead? That sort of stuff. Yeah. The name of it's escaping me, but there's a great book that talks about all those touch points being so critical 
to the process of, of your sales process. So, you know, it might be commenting on someone's LinkedIn post. It might be going onto their Instagram and connecting with them. It might be the phone. It might be email. It might be text. But all those touch points play in your process of building that engagement and relationship. So it sounds like that's really cool the way you, you approach it that way. It definitely and probably incrementally improves the odds of having some level of engagement and hopefully ultimately a relationship of sales. And I find it's really not so much the engagements or the cadence or the things, it's the persistence. Mm. So I feel like, and I don't know, you can tell me your philosophy on this. As somebody who has the name, you know, co-founder or CEO in my title on LinkedIn, like I get a decent amount of outreach, right? And the number of people, Tyler, that reach out to me once and only once is alarming. Alarming. Like, I don't understand how anybody's making any money. Alarming. And so to me, sometimes just that persistence, we call it professional persistence, but you know, that persistence is such a huge deal. And most people downplay that. They think they have to say something interesting or they have to be really witty or they have to be the smartest person. And I'm like, first of all, you need to be the most persistent person and you need to always make it about the other person. I think that's the reason why, especially in prospecting, so many people get it so wrong because they, they talk about themselves too much. And they they look at it from a very self-serving lens. So oftentimes those touches and that call reluctance is coming from a place of, are you making it about yourself, right? Like that's why the metrics are also so important because I want you to tell me like, oh, Tyler never answers the phone. And I'm like, well, let's look how many times have we reached out to Tyler? And it's like, well, we've reached out to Tyler three times. I'm like, well, yeah, no. Tyler doesn't trust you enough to take your phone call because most salespeople go away. Like we have trained business owners to not take our calls because typically if they just don't take the call two or three times, we'll go away. So true. And, you know, there are certain profile people too. Like, for example, me, I'll never answer my phone. You could call me a zillion times. I, will, I won't even answer the phone for my wife. It's just, I don't know why I can't explain it. I, I don't know. I, I'll call out. I have no problem calling people, but I don't like to answer the phone. It's like an interruption to me. But you text me, I'll respond to you in two seconds. Like maybe even one second, other than right now with us talking. Sure. You do it on LinkedIn, I'll respond like that. You do it in my Instagram, I'll respond within a day. So everybody has their own cadence of when they're going on their medium of response. So I think that's another point to what you're talking about is that, you know, getting different touch points, you kind of also connect with them in the way that they're most likely going to interact with you. Yeah. That's a great point. So I do have another question along those lines. Let's go slowly into social selling because you brought that up and I'm fascinated by that. Before I ask you about social selling specifically, what about number of touch points? Like many years ago, 10 years ago, they used to say seven touch points was the normal. I think most recently I heard 12. Do you guys have some diagnostic where you go, really, you should be a good profile prospect. You should have X number of touch points. The data, yeah. I used to always say 12 to 20, and now the data is 30 to 50. Oh, wow. Okay. Because it's due to the number of messages that we get in any given day, and not messages like DMs messages, just the amount of data we have to sift through, right? Like from being on social media, being overly available, being living with a screen, that like we just gloss things over. So the data now says 30 to 50. So you asked me before we hit record, and I know you're going to ask me later, my favorite book, yeah. uh, sales book is Fanatical Prospecting. Oh, I love um, that. Jeb Blunt yeah. wrote that book. And so a lot of my data and my stats are like, I'm a huge fan of Jeb. They, his company does a really great job of doing that research. So that's where a lot of that comes from. And I actually went to Jeb's event this year, his outbound event, and that's, I think, where I got that that data is that the number is increasing. So it was, it was 12 to 20 for a little while. Um, and now they're saying 30 to 50, totally cold, no brand recognition. 
Wow. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, given all the mediums and to your point, like everybody just glosses over anything. I'm even amazed in my own appointment setting. You know, I'll get a lead and I have some helpers that help me too in terms of appointment setting. And, you know, we'll contact someone maybe like 10 plus times. And this is someone that actually expressed interest. And around that 10th or 15th time, they'll be like, oh yeah, sorry, I've been super busy. And even at, sometimes they even miss appointments. I have to be gentle about this because I don't want to just chase my tail. But sometimes, you know, they don't make the first appointment. If they reach out to me and reschedule, it's no big deal. If they just ghost me, I might try once, but it's amazing just that additional follow-up and catching people at the right time and being in the right place at the right time does actually lead to client generation. And it's just, it's patience and it's part of the process. And I agree with you. Like I, I always chuckle because I get emails to me a lot. I get, you know, when you're visible on social media, I'm sure this is true for you. You get so many solicitations and so many are just like one-offs. And it's like, I kind of feel bad. Like I don't take time to respond, but I'm kind of like thinking it's just no chance. It's not, it's not going to work. <laughs> so social selling, how does that differ from just general sales? Like what, what's your perspective on that? So to me, it's just the platform. Okay. Right. So inside sales was the phone, outside sales, face-to-face, social sales is social media. So to me, it's just the platform of which we leverage to create connection. To me, that is my definition of social selling. And to me, if we can be omnipresent, like do it. Uh, I think a lot of companies feel like it's got to be one way or the other. It's like, oh, I got a social. I'm like, no, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But can you add in a, an additional touch point, an additional way to get people's attention, an additional way to expose people to your brand by leveraging that social media touch point as well? So for us, our primary training tool is like how to, how to do it on social media, but how we teach you how to connect with somebody on social media, I would suggest you do it the exact same way on the phone, right? Don't call people and vomit on them and tell them how great you are and like all the other things, right? Like it's the exact same process. It's just what medium are you using to create connection? Do you feel with COVID in particular, now we're coming out of COVID, a lot of things moved to Zoom as opposed to in-person meetings when when it made sense and when it was that type of business where they used to be in-person meetings. What's your take on that? Like, is it still good to stay in a Zoom environment? Obviously, it's more efficient. Do you feel that you lose some level of a personal touch in doing that? Do you have any clients in that situation and how do you advise them? I think it just totally depends upon the product, the service, the client, the price point. I mean, I think there's a lot of factors I think there are some people, Tyler, that'll never go back to nearly as much face-to-face as they did previously. But I do think, or I also think that sales processes have changed. So again, thinking through like your really big enterprise sales used to be a lot of in-person. Like my guess is now you can probably get your first two, three, four touches, your, you know, your different stakeholder meetings done via Zoom. And then your in-person meeting, you have all the players at the table, right? Where previously it was like, oh, in-person meeting with this stakeholder, this stakeholder, this stakeholder, this stakeholder. And then we're at the table. So I think that there's probably some nuances there. I think that people, especially right now, are really craving that human to human connection. I know me, like, I'm like, anytime you can, I'm like, there's an event, can I go? <laughs> but I mean, I think it's going to be a balance. I think if my, my very unofficial hypothesis is that it balances out, right? That it's still people still love in person, the people who love in person, love in person, the people who don't won't. And we just have to kind of ebb and flow based on our clients and what they tell us they want. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you already gave me your book. So I don't know if by chance you happen to have another book in line. I'd love to know if you do. Jeb's got a whole series. I love reading his books. He's, you know, I don't know if, does this name Jeffrey Gittimer, does that ring a bell to you? He was kind of like in my day, like the kind of probably Jeb Blunt equivalent. So that's kind of my big one that goes from the past. Is there anybody else that kind of really resonates with you? You know, from a sales author perspective, Jeb's kind of my go-to, but like I actually saw Jeffrey Gittimer was the keynote at a sales conference for a company I worked for like back in 2012. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Does he even, I haven't even seen his name. Like he used to, he had all these little books of sales, Mm -hmm. different topics. And you used to see one like every year. This was you know, quite a few years ago, but I don't think he's had a published book or at least not one that I've seen in a long time. Not that I've seen. I mean, he's still around, like I'm still on his email list. He's still, I think he does a lot of like courses and coaching and stuff like that. I haven't seen a book in a while from him, but other books, you know, I really do like, uh, Brian Tracy's the psychology of selling. Yeah. He's a classic. That's a good one that I I recommend to a lot of people. Uh, What my sales team and I spend a lot of time reading though, is we dig around a lot in mindset. So like right now they're reading the secrets of the millionaire mind. Uh, The next book we'll probably read is the magic of thinking big. You know, the how-to of sales really doesn't vary too much from person to person. I mean, perspective is always great. So we're probably two or three, like really mindset perception style books before, and then to one tactical when we do like book clubs. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because Mindset to me is cool. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I think it has a place in almost every area of business. I don't really focus on it heavily in my own personal coaching, but it is the one area where I will say sales, you really do have to condition your mind from a mindset standpoint. And I'll give you an example. I had recently a client asked me to meet with their salesperson because he was struggling. And uh, so we sat down and met. And what I quickly realized is this guy was giving like a label to every prospect. So he'd call one prospect a looky-loo and another one a tire kicker and another one, I forget what the word was for, but they were cheap. You know, they weren't going to pay the fee basically. So he was immediately labeling every prospect. And to me, that's mindset. Like the dude's going in with like a losing attitude. What's your thoughts on that? Because I, th- I think this is a huge topic for sales. Yeah. I mean, I think mindset is is literally the difference between success and failure in sales. Because it is, I mean, it's it's the prejudgment is a thing. It's the belief is a really, really, really big thing. And I think it's actually a lot of money mindset, which I did not know until many years later when I realized that, yeah, oftentimes people that think that what you sell is expensive really struggle to sell it, right? Because they believe the prospect. When the prospect says, oh, you know, Tyler, this sounds really great, but I just can't afford to invest right now. They're like, yeah, man, me neither, you know? So if that level, like, I think it's, it's all mindset and taking it one step further, it's almost emotional. Um, who said this recently? I don't even know. I consume a lot of content. I'm just a junkie for it. I love it, but it's the ability to control our emotions. Like that's what we're really successful at in sales. It's the ability to make the phone calls when we don't want to make the phone calls. It's the ability to have somebody tell us they can't afford it without getting defensive or panicking, right? So for me, it's really about that emotional intelligence, that emotional control is where true success is in in sales. And actually, I think that was, it was a Jeb Blunt book. It's his book, Objections. And like, if you read through the reviews of that book, a lot of people are mad that there's no how to overcome objections because all he's talking about is like, it's, it's your brain, right? Like you have to be practiced enough in your sales process to not freak out when you get an objection. 
I'll have to read that one. I didn't read that, but that that's cool because you're right. Like objections, I thought it was just going to be like, if no. someone says it's too expensive, you say this. And no. I'm like, oh, okay, I've heard that. But that's interesting. I'll have to check that out. That And it is true. It's Even I have to struggle with this. Like I'll have someone that's somewhat committed to me and I fight with like, do I want to call them and hear them say no? There's just this mental conditioning. I have to like kind of get psyched up a little bit and go, you know what? We want closure here. We want, I want to help them. If they're ready to be helped, cool. If they're not ready to be helped, that's cool too. But I want to know, I don't want to leave them in a situation where I can't help them. And that's kind of how I kind of dial it in in my head to get to the point of getting that no, if, if you will. I mean, hopefully it's a yes, but I'm totally cognizant and prepared when I make the call that it might be a no. And that's cool. When should we talk again is kind of where I go with that conversation. Yeah, that's good stuff. You, man, you got a lot of wisdom. So, hey, I want to, before we wrap up here, can you give me a life tip or a business tip that we can apply? You got anything off the top of your head? Yes. Uh, my best piece of advice, business life, anything else is really, you know, you're going to get a lot farther if you make it about the other person and not yourself. Mm. You know, I think that sales and business is all about service. It's all about solving problems. It's all about helping people make decisions. And all of that has nothing to do with me. And it kind of, some of the, some of the principles of like the, how to win friends and influence people, right? Like you're never going to win an argument by arguing with somebody and telling them they're wrong. It's just never going to happen. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I had a guest not too long ago, just a great guest, had a really good story. And one of his comments, very high, high, very successful commercial a real estate uh, salesperson, made a ton of money. I think a billion dollars of profit, a billion dollars of property he sold. And one of his comments was, I asked him, I said, you must have, when you had a property, you knew probably a six-figure check was coming along the way. You must have just had those numbers dialed in your head. And he said, you know, Tyler, I never once did the math in my head. Like I didn't even want to know. It was all about helping my client. And so until the deal was done, I didn't even think about it. And I really believe he was being sincere, that it was really more about getting the client what they needed and and it was a good fit. And then the money would drop. Yeah, that's great. That's a great tip. Hey, so I'll put these in the show notes. Your main website is dailysalesondemandforceos.com. I'll say that one more time. Daily sales on demand for CEOs.com. If there's anywhere else someone wanted to reach out to you or connect with you, is there another place you'd like them to do it? Sure. We are obviously as, you know, so social selling is kind of our jam. So we're very active on social. So you're always welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, it's Ryan with two N's, Dowdy. Um, we are on Instagram at Social Sellers Academy. And we're also at Social Sellers Academy on Facebook as well. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for uh, sharing your knowledge and being part of the show. I hope I can have you on again in the future. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tyler. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Welcome to Tuning In to Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. 
Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.